college and young adult pastor here at Carnegie Free. I serve in C20. We meet on Sunday nights at 6 p.m. and we're going to kick off in August 25th. And we're really excited about that. First of all, I want to say, didn't the worship team do an amazing job? Man. And um, I'm really excited. I'm going to try ham and crawdad uh, soup one of these days. In Texas, we do stuff like that. But um, this morning, we are talking about the war between the flesh and the spirit. And last week, we talked about the fact that we are free in Christ. There are no laws that you need to obey. You don't need to instill legalism into your life. There are no rules or Jewish customs that you need to uh, bring into your life to receive this free gift that Jesus offers. And once we receive this free gift that Jesus offers, we receive the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. And when we walk in the Spirit, we produce fruit. We're going to be reading from Galatians chapter 5 and starting in verse 16. Galatians five sixteen. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual morality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us uh, keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Let's pray. God, as we open up your word today, and we read from Galatians, I pray that our hearts are open, our minds are ready. God, I pray that you use me to communicate clearly how to walk in the Spirit and how to deny the flesh. Thank you that we can meet together on this beautiful Sunday. Thank you for each person that's here. I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to each and every one of us, and God, that you may be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as some of you might know, we were blessed with a wonderful baby daughter seven and a half months ago, and it's been a total of seven and a half months of no sleep. If you have children, you are well aware of that. Uh, We are walking and talking zombies. But um, Millie Jean Ferguson is her name. She's the best. Um, But uh, she also, like me, has a dimple on the left side of her cheek. And uh, it's so cute. I'm not saying I'm cute. She's cute. But uh, it got me thinking, Millie shares in the DNA of my wife and I. She shares in our characteristics and possibly shares in our personality. And as she gets older, that stuff will start to develop. And just as she shares in our DNA and our characteristics, and I share in the same DNA and characteristics of my parents and so forth, all the way down the line to Adam and Eve, we also share in their sin 
natures. You see, when they ate of that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, that moment that they bit into that fruit is the moment that sin entered into all of creation. Not only does sin enter into all of creation, but it's passed down from generation to the next. So you say, why do I keep messing up and falling for the same sin over and over again? Well, you can blame your mama for that. Uh, You can blame your dad. You can blame your grandparents. And you can blame Adam and Eve. Because we have faulty, broken DNA. And it's inherited to us. But there is hope for a new DNA. In Ezekiel 36, verse 26, God, through the prophet Ezekiel, gives this promise. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God does heart surgery on us. He takes that heart of stone, he removes it from our body, and he gives us this brand new beating heart that gives life. It gives us the Holy Spirit, and we get a new DNA that starts flowing through our bodies. Then he gives us a second promise in Jeremiah 31, 33. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, and I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. God does heart surgery. He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new mind. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. And then he takes that law that's written on stone tablets, and he writes it on our hearts. And he writes it on our minds. We get a new DNA. It's a really beautiful gift. So how does this happen? Jesus freely, lovingly dies. He comes to the earth. He lives a perfect life. And then he becomes sin on the cross. And he says, will you follow me? Will you take in this salvation that I offer? And will you receive this new DNA? So we have a new heart. We have new DNA. And we have the Holy Spirit Why do we keep falling for sin over and over again? Why do we keep on making the same mistakes? Well, it's because our flesh and the spirit are at war with each other. Here's how Paul defines flesh there in Galatians. He says, it is the sensuous nature of man. Some would say it's the I, the me, the ego, the sensuous nature of man that is constantly wanting more, that's never satisfied. I heard it said like this, it's like we have a black hole of a heart that just constantly wants more and more and more and is never satisfied. Look at verse 17 and 18. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. So we're free in Christ We have freely received his salvation. There's nothing we did to earn it. But we're not just to go and live as we want. There is this battle that's happening. And so um, I thought of this illustration. And let's say that I am fighting dogs. And I want you to understand I'm not condoning the fighting of dogs. But I find it fitting to use a brutal illustration to describe this brutal war that we're having. And so let's say I fight dogs. And I take care of one dog. I nurture it. I love it. I feed it. I bring it inside the house when it's cold, and I bring it inside the house when it's hot. But then I have another dog, and I starve it. I neglect it. I abuse it. I don't care for that dog. And then I have them fight. What do you think is going to happen? 
the dog that I feed and love and take care of, that's the dog that's going to win in that fight. And um, which dog are you feeding? Are you feeding the flesh? Are you feeding the spirit? How often does this battle happen? Jesus said this in Luke 9.23. Then Jesus said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves their flesh, take up their cross daily and follow me. Here's what Jesus is saying. When Jesus said to the disciples, you need to take up your cross, any person in that time that had a cross was actually going to die. When you were to be crucified, you would carry your own cross on your shoulders and you would go to die. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you need to take your flesh every day and crucify your flesh. That's how brutal the image Jesus wanted the disciples to understand that flesh is terrible and we got to crucify the flesh and we have to do it every single day. You can't take a break. It's a brutal war that's going to happen every single day. What are the acts of the flesh? In verse 19, Paul says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And he goes on to list these acts of the flesh. For a religious culture that Paul is writing to, they understood that there was a absolute right and wrong. They had large portions of the Torah memorized, and so they knew the Levitical law, they knew all the rules. So they understood, yes, I agree. But here in 2019, American culture, we're heavily influenced by secular humanism, we're heavily influenced by American culture, and so lots of rules and understandings are to question. Everything's gray, everything is for question. And so I find it important, and there's a reason why Paul lists these out, is so that we can understand there really is moral absolutes. There really are things that are right and wrong. And I think it's really helpful for us to know these things so that we can know if you can understand what's right and wrong, you can also understand what our purpose is on this earth. And so he goes on to list them, in, starting in verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I packed in all the words you're not supposed to say in church all in one. <laughs> um, you may be sitting there saying, man, my sin's not on there. I'm doing a good job. Well, here's the thing. That's not an exhaustive list. It doesn't cover everything, but I bet if Paul were to hang out with you for a bit, he would also add, and so are those that leave their shopping cart behind the car next to them instead of taking it and put it in the spot that it's supposed to be. If that's you, you know who you are. Or, just to make sure I cover everybody, those that drive 40 miles an hour in the passing lane, okay? If you're in the passing lane, you need to pass. If you're in the right lane, you can drive 40 miles an hour, okay? Paul would have added that if they had cars back then. Why is sin so enticing? We can all agree sin is enticing, and I really wanted to think about this. Why is sin momentarily pleasurable? Why is sin enticing? Because your flesh craves control. And control can be pleasurable for a moment. You don't believe God can provide for you. Therefore, a selfish ambition builds up inside of you as you try to provide for yourself. 
You don't trust God's justice when someone wrongs you, so you lash out in anger. You don't trust that God is present in the valleys of your marriage, so you seek comfort from another person or possibly an internet website. You don't trust that God has a future for you, or you don't trust that you are worthy of the future he's promised you. So you take life into your own hands. Taking control can give momentary pleasure, as we all know. But the flesh is never satisfied. It's never happy. It's never full. It's always wanting more. There's no money that can fulfill this black hole flesh heart. There's no praise, success, beauty. Nothing will satisfy the flesh. And we see this evident even in the highest of success. I remember watching Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech, and Michael Jordan absolutely conquered the NBA. He won six NBA championships. Don't zone out if you're not a sports fan. <laughs> so I'm just kidding. Um, his symbol was the second most recognized symbol in the entire world, the Jordan sign. He was the most valuable player five times. He conquered the NBA. Yet, while he was receiving his Hall of Fame induction, he was still calling people out. He was still trying to win on the podium. He was saying to the guy that started in front of him in high school, he's like, I beat you. And then he was saying to the guy that was drafted before him, he's like, I beat you. And he was still calling people out. This is Michael Jordan. You win, Michael. But guess what? No matter how many wins we accrue or money we get or uh, no matter how much praise or success, we're just going to keep on wanting more and more and more. So, verse 21, Paul gives a warning. He says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Your response to this list of sins will communicate to you if you have this new DNA. I'll say it like this. If you have sorrow over your sin and sorrow over falling short of God's glory, then possibly you have a new DNA. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Here's what he means by this. He's saying we need to have a spirit of absolute poverty, understanding there's no good that can come from us. I don't care how many laws we obey or how good we are, how much of the Bible we memorize, or if we sing songs in church, we are absolutely in poverty in spirit until Jesus grabs a hold of us. Because Jesus did all the work, we receive his perfection. When we are in a place of spiritual poverty, that's when we're ready to receive the spirit. So our flesh is betraying us. The evil one wants to destroy us, and the world opposes us. Amen. I'm done. No, I'm not going to leave us there. That's kind of sad so far. But what hope do we have? We have the Spirit. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave. The Spirit is powerful. Just so that you're focused here, I want you to turn to somebody and say, I've got the power. All right, y'all did about the same as the first service. I'm going to give up on having you respond. Uh, we've got the power. We've got the power of the Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead inside of us. Look at 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How do we walk? I'm sorry, how do we win 
the battle over flesh. We walk by the Spirit. So here's how you can walk by the Spirit. First of all, you need the Spirit inside of you. You need the new DNA. It's not an intellectual decision where you say, okay, I believe in God. I've had numerous conversations with people over the years. My favorite uh, people meeting spot is Kit's Coffee. Um, I have helped pay for a portion of their renovation projects. <laughs> but uh, when I sit down with people, I have a conversation, you know, where are you at in your faith? And oftentimes people assume that it's just an intellectual decision where like I believe in God. But what we understand here is it is a supernatural miracle when God takes a heart of stone and, and gives that person a heart of flesh. It's a beautiful, miraculous thing. So first, you need the Spirit inside of you. Also, we must continuously surrender to the Spirit and starve the flesh. Paul says, walk by the Spirit. And here's what he means. He means daily surrender. When a biblical author writes walk by, that means a daily surrender. His mercies are new every morning. So you will lose the battle with the flesh. You're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. And the most beautiful gift that God has given us is this beautiful gift of repentance. It is a joy. It's a positive, wonderful word. And here's what it means. We're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. But every morning when that sun rises, that is an opportunity for you to boldly go before God and say, God, I am, I've done wrong. I've fallen into the flesh. And guess what? He loves to clean us up. He loves to make us new. When that sun rises, that means God is ready to forgive you again. And he'll do it every single time. Why? Because the gift of salvation is not earned by us in our work, in our hard work. It is given to us freely. So the mercies are made new every morning. Also, we need to discern the voice of the spirit versus the voice of the flesh. There's a lot of noise out there. There are a lot of thoughts and ideas. Internally, we have lots of noise. So how do we di differentiate between the voice of the flesh and the voice of the spirit? And so there's three ways. Study and know the Bible. Download the Bible app. You can exercise on your treadmill or workout and listen to scripture at the same time. You can drive down the road and listen to scripture. Uh, you can sing worship songs. When I was in seventh grade, we sang the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Oh, oh, do y'all know that song? I just taught it to you. It's a wonderful song. Ever since I heard that song in seventh grade, I have remembered the fruit of the Spirit. Um, when you hide God's word into your heart and that flesh starts showing its evil face, its ugly face, scripture will come to mind and you'll say, no. That's not what God's promised for me. He's promised for me love, joy, peace. And you can continue singing the song. Also, pray and be in the presence of the Lord. Remember, he loves to love you. He loves to be near you and he loves to make you clean. And so when I pray, I used to uh, try to pray. But uh, if you have a brain like mine, I will be in the middle of a prayer. And I'm like, God, thank you so much. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for making me new. Thank you for giving me the Holy Spirit. And when are the Cowboys ever going to win again? And like I'm starting thinking about the Cowboys and their roster. I'm like, the roster's disastrous, God. And God's like, hey, you know, are you talking to me or talking about the Cowboys? And then, oh, and I get back on track. But here's what I do. 
I type my prayers out on my computer and then I can look back six months prior to how God has specifically answered a prayer or how he drew near in that moment. I'd encourage you to type your prayers out or just get alone. Turn off your cell phone, put it in your car or something and just spend time with God and say, God, I want to be near you in this moment. Also, commit to honest Christian community. Here at Carnegie Free, we have so many amazing life groups. We have life groups, we have care groups, we have youth ministry, we have C20 that meets on Sunday nights at 6 p.m. We'd love to see you. August 25th is our kickoff. We have um, so many amazing groups here at Carnegie Free. And I specifically said honest Christian community. As you and I both know that we can get so distracted by um, our lives, we can fall into temptation, and we need people to say, man, you're in the flesh. You need to get out of the flesh. God has something better for you. I need that, you need that, and I would encourage you. If you want to walk in the Spirit, get plugged into honest Christian community. Now that we're walking in the Spirit, here's what happens. Walking in the Spirit makes you look like Jesus. And when you look like Jesus, you start producing fruit. I initially was going to have a bag of fruit and start throwing oranges and apples into the audience, but I thought that I was going to hit somebody on the face and then it was going to ruin the entire morning. So I do not have that. But when you, when you look like Jesus, you produce fruit. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. We start walking in the Spirit. We start looking like Jesus. The Holy Spirit starts chiseling away at us. And when the Holy Spirit chisels away at us, he wants to make us look like Jesus. And then we start producing fruit. Spirit-filled people love those who are their enemy. They have joy through pain and joy through progress. They have peace in times of disaster. Patience when there are no answers. Kindness to those who deserve, who don't deserve it and goodness in giving to those who don't deserve it. Faithfulness when all hope seems lost. Gentleness to those who need it most. Self-control when the whole world caves in. As I was thinking about the fruit of the Spirit, it reminded me of this story of a man. His name was Jamel McGee, and he was walking to the grocery store to get groceries for his baby boy. And while he's walking, he was falsely accused of dealing drugs, and he had to spend four years in prison. The police officer falsified evidence to ensure that he had to go to prison. And while in prison, he said he had one goal, and that was to hurt the man that sent him to prison. Yet while he was in prison, he, come, he came to know the grace of Jesus, and he became a Christian. Well, there's another man by the name of Andrew. Andrew was the police officer who falsified the evidence and he too got caught and he had to spend time in prison right before he was heading to prison he sat down with a pastor and the pastor led him to know Jesus and he became a Christian 
Jamel got a job at a coffee shop and he was serving coffee and guess who else got a job at that same coffee shop Andrew the police officer um, and they became friends here's what happened Andrew saw Jamel and by God's grace they came together and Andrew said I am so sorry for sending you to prison I'm so sorry for ruining your life I was selfish I was wrong and I apologize they became friends he said you're forgiven they became friends they started hanging out now they travel the U.S. and they share their story of how God used these two people where one wanted to just hurt the other. Through God's grace, they became friends. And while they were friends, Jamel said to Andrew, I love you, bro. And Andrew said he just started crying. And God's grace just flooded in his veins and he could see that weight lifted because Jamel forgave him. You see, when we live radical, spirit-led lives, God's going to call us to do radical, spirit-led things. And when we do that, that's when radical fruit is going to be produced in our lives. Jesus is the one who obeyed all the laws. Jesus never gave into the flesh. He always followed the Spirit And he's the one who offers this to all of us. And he says, all you got to do is come and meet with me. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to hear from you. Father, I pray that the people of Carnegie Free Church begin walking in the spirit, denying the flesh, that they'll crucify their flesh. And through that, they'll start producing radical fruit. God, I pray that Carney is not the same because of the people here in this room. Give us power. Give us Holy Spirit power. And that every conversation we have will be a fruit-bearing conversation that will love people radically. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.